0: Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists and faculty members at Auburn University, Harrison School of Pharmacy, and we are your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. On The Postgraduate Pharmacist, we focus on preparing and obtaining postgraduate training positions. From current events
1: to expert advice, you'll have up to date content related to postgraduate training. New episodes are released every other Monday, so don't forget to like or subscribe.
0: Follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist for additional discussions or insights into our topic. Back on The Postgraduate Pharmacist, we have Bobby Helmer, who is also clinical faculty with Auburn. Bobby, welcome back.
2: Well, thank you once again for having me. I'm Fairly surprised you decided to have me back on this episode, but it must have been on my last episode that I
0: must have really boosted the likes and subscribers. <laughs> so anytime you need a boost, you just you just call my number. That's right. We had that 20% listener rate increase. So we were like, got to have him back. So today we'd like to spend uh, this
1: episode talking about everybody's favorite curriculum vitae's better known as CVs, uh, which is a subject we haven't really focused on yet.
0: I think it's been long overdue so i'm glad we're discussing it today and just as a kind of a preemptive thing if you're wanting
1: your cv reviewed make sure to check out some of the links in our show notes below for cv review services that may or may not be free or of interest to you based on the organization involvement that you that you have
0: and if you can't use any of those We recommend trying to get a preceptor or a faculty to review your CV. Now, if you're in your APPE rotations, now's a really good time to have that reviewed. So if you haven't updated it, update it now, get it reviewed.
1: So while you're working on getting your CV updated or reviewed, it's good to think about what some of the items you absolutely want to include are. But before we talk about those, let's start by talking about things you want to make sure that you exclude. If you first made your CV as a first-year pharmacy student, which chances are you did, you probably have things on your CV that just don't really fit anymore. How do you know when it's time for something to go, and what are some examples of the things that you should probably start taking
0: off your CV? This is like the story of my life right now. Every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, got to take off that high school band involvement. Gotta. Sad day. <laughs> Probably doesn't pertain to me as a faculty member anymore. Just feel like I'm taking more off than I'm adding on sometimes. Yeah, that's good advice for you listeners, right? So
2: <laughs> things prior to, definitely prior to college, right? High school, <laughs> right off. Yeah, but but I, I do think this is a good question and it can be a tough question because Certainly, there's students that have a lot of accomplishments that they've been proud of uh, over the years. So it's hard to, uh, especially something that maybe you worked really hard at, hard to take that off of an official document that people are seeing when you're trying to seek employment or residency or whatever that is. Uh, but there does come a, a point where you have to eliminate the fluff, right? That not everything is going to be pertinent to uh, employers anymore. Applying for a pharmacy job. They're not going to care that you worked in a pet store when you were 15, right? So it's it's not just about that you had a job. It had, needs to be, you're starting to tailor this to being pertinent to your profession. You know, I alluded to high school earlier. That stuff's write-off. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that's an easy one. Yeah, that's an easy <laughs> one. But I would say most stuff prior to pharmacy school, except education. You Obviously, you want to include uh, educational background, at least collegiate background. If in undergrad, I would say if you had some major research that you were really involved in, especially those that led to publications, especially those in the the medical or biomedical field, I think those can be helpful because those those show skills that you've gained, right? Research skills, uh, which is what programs are looking for, right? That you have some of these skills coming in when we know that there's pro, or uh, research components required of the program. I think the same thing about like major awards. So most awards, Dean list and stuff in college, I would say those kind of things need to come out. If you had some major scholarship that two people get at your university, or you were a Fulbright scholar or something like that at your university, like keep those types of things on, but most sort of lower level awards uh, and and scholarships, I think you're okay to remove again, non-pharmacy or non-medical related jobs. Those can go off. If you had been a pharmacy tech for 10 years, I think that's relevant. You can keep those sorts of things, but other than, you know, non-medical as I mentioned, those would come off. I would even go as far as to say like organizational involvement outside of pharmacy school unless there was some major major thing. So, fraternity or sorority unless there was some extremely major accomplishment, I would just leave those off of the CVs at this point uh, as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was going to say if you hadn't mentioned the organization I was going to say you know, it doesn't matter if you're president or vice president of something in undergraduate, you know, they can't really tell. I mean, they could look at your transcripts way back then, but they're probably not too concerned with that. So they're not going to, they're wanting to know if you were organizationally involved in pharmacy school, which is going to be a higher credit hour, usually more credit hours than what you took in undergrad.
1: Yeah, I think Bobby and Sean, you've kind of both hit the nails on the head. I would agree with both of you, um, and I would just say that if you're not sure if something kind of fits to kind of that teetering line of should it stay or should it go, then make sure to ask somebody. And you can ask, um, you know, people that are reviewing your CV. So that goes back to
0: that point. Yeah, and you can even get peers to look at it too because it's sometimes good to swap CVs. You can get what is there, what did they put on theirs, what am I missing, and things like that. So this next question may actually mix between things to add and things that you need to remove or repurpose, let's say. So focusing solely on rotations, how should candidates be differentiating between activities related to a rotation versus activities that you do on rotation that are actually above and beyond and deserve a separate place on your CV, with vice versa being things you've added to other sections of your CV? that are just duplicative and should just fall under rotational activities or those bullet points you have under rotations?
2: Yeah. So this is a really good question. And, you know, this is where it's important to structure your CV, you know, into different sections, you know, ones that focus on experiential rotations. And we think, okay, I'm going to include my rotations. What type of information should I be included in those? I think the most important things there are the uh, in most cases the direct patient care activities what were your roles and responsibilities towards patient care obviously not all rotations are patient care based most of them are but in most cases you should be spelling out what are your roles for for the patient you know for those few bulleted lines you don't have room to put things like i presented a journal club i presented an in service unless that was like the focus you took a some sort of di rotation where your focus was presenting uh, information to uh, you know different professions or, or different uh, audiences those types of presentations should be in a different section in my opinion it should be in a presentations or or some sort of other thing tailored that way
1: yeah, I like that example Bobby and I would a- agree and also to add that you you know thinking about other things that could fit on in separate locations would be something like research. so for example, if you you know go go on rotation and you ask your preceptor, hey, do you have any research I could get involved with or help with, that would be outside of your rotation duties. Say, for example, they had you help with some data collection or something involved with that research process. That would be something to definitely list you know, in a separate location on your CV as well.
2: I actually have some fairly strong opinions, I think, about like the levels of research to be involved in to put it in a research section, in my opinion. So uh, I I think, Taylor, one of the, the things that you mentioned was, or Sean, maybe it was you, talked about above and beyond, right? So if you are seeking out opportunities to get involved in research on a particular rotation, you should view that as getting involved with the project, not just okay, I'm here on this rotation for four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. You know, I'm going to do data collection and now I'm going to be able to stamp on my CV that I was involved in research because you did six weeks of data collection. You know, If, if you're going to make the commitment to research and get involved with that preceptor on their rotation and you're going to include it on your CV, I think it needs to be sustained. So you're going to f- sort of try to finish that project to some sort of end, whether that is a poster, uh, a manuscript, just some sort of thing where you can say like, it's a dedicated involvement outside of just being able to check this box because you did four weeks of work. So if a student came to me, uh, that's sort of the advice that I would give them in that,
0: in that regards regarding research. So funny story.
2: <laughs> Are you one of these? <laughs>
0: uh, I did that exact same thing. Uh, I was on a name care rotation and they were doing some sort of skills lab, assessment lab research. And, and I think we just collected the sheets from the students and kind of put it in so i had my nice little the the only thing existing under my research section was the the title of that project so i agree with you you, you think I'll, you, you get, you're giving me the look like oh he's gonna he's gonna disagree i agree with you because if somebody had asked me nobody did but if somebody had asked me on one of my interviews you know tell us more about your involvement in this project Knowing what I know now, I know that I would have come across as that's all you did. Right. Really? And woefully unprepared to answer that question. Yeah. yeah. So like did you weren't involved with the IRB, the, the, the design, nothing. They just basically sat you down and said, can you just grab these sheets and put it in this file? And I was like, yeah, that's what I did. But I didn't have anything. So I don't I don't know how I feel about if a student was like, this is all I have. Should I put it or not? I might say put it so it's not there but be prepared to know that you can you're going to explain that yeah i know my my involvement was little and there's what i did to try to get more involved and and whatnot But yeah yeah
2: and i I do understand that um you know i I think about from a a a preceptor a residency preceptor thinking about intent and skills right so and and being able to talk about that project like if you were able to ask like well what did this project find you know what were what were the results Mm -hmm. you can't talk about that then to me that's not really Involvement, or if you were involved in the IRB, at least you could talk about the rationale, you know, the defense for why you were undertaking a study. So you could at least
0: have some conversation about it. So, yeah. The okay. only thing I could talk about was city training, which I thought was still been, you know, I had mm-hmm. to complete the full city right. training to do it. It was actually an academic rotation, which is why we did it. So I thought, you know, if, if anything, I'd say, like, you know, I understand the proper conduct of research based on this, and I got to see a little bit of it. But if I wasn't involved in that, I would probably say you didn't really do research. Then you're just helping yeah. a faculty member with a little project. Right.
1: And I would refer our listeners back to episode eight that involves, you know, getting involved in meaningful ways in research. And, you know, we kind of talk about a lot of those things that a lot of those points you brought up, Bobby, about really understanding and being involved in the project and not just you know, carrying out some of the tasks and everything.
2: So now that I am a, a seasoned guest, and I think I can say seasoned, right? Because I've this is my second episode that I've been on. You mind if I, I take the reins for a second and m- maybe pitch a question to you guys? Maybe it could be slow pitch.
0: <laughs> slow, I'm slow okay pitch, right? with that. Just don't get overzealous. You mentioned the NPR. You seem like you're enjoying yourself over here. Yeah, maybe I
2: am. Maybe I have a new calling. <laughs> I, I think this is going to be your last guest appearance on the postgraduate pharmacist, Bobby. <laughs> that that may be warranted. Yeah. That may Okay. I guess I need to ask my question now then, right? <laughs> Uh so uh what what do you think about this? So how early is too early to put something on your C V? You know, at at what point in a project, rotation, organizational commitment, you know, some event that's coming up, how early is too early to add that to your C V sort of advanced in advance of applying for a residency or or talking to somebody about your C V
1: Okay, I like this because if you're planning something significant to your professional growth that is going to take place after you submit application materials might really want to share that and you think that the programs are missing out by that stuff not being on your application. So I think this is a good uh, question, Bobby. So I would say really what it boils down to for me is I think rotations that you're going to complete coming up, you can, a lot of students will put those in as anticipated rotations and everything. Certainly with research, like if you haven't presented it or you haven't submitted it for publication yet, but you're involved in that. Um, you can certainly put like a status update of ongoing in terms of your research. But traditionally, like if there's different events or things, health fairs, if you were going to put that on there, which that's another topic that we won't get into. But um, if you're going to put those types of things on there, usually I would put it until after it happens. So something could always go wrong. And, you know, that event might be canceled or or something. But so that's kind of just my rule of thumb is, you know, wait till it happens and, and then put it on there. But I certainly think that rotations like anticipated rotations, that's something that you could um, go ahead and put on there.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that with, with the with it's canceled. I was thinking the exact same thing It's like you're reading my mind. I'm, I'm assuming with this question it's kind of getting at like December because like, right, right. obviously, <laughs> if you're going to do it in three months and no one's going to look at your CV in three months. I think it's fine to put placeholders there so you just don't forget it in the mm-hmm. future, even if you haven't done it yet. But we're, we're talking about, OK, I, I'm this is probably going to come to fruition after December. Is it OK to put on my CV now when my application materials are in? And I I would say it depends. I still agree. I agree 100 percent with what Taylor said about if it's like an event that's going to take place in, in February. I mean let's just you know covid for an example it might just go and get canceled so putting it on there's not going to they're just going to ignore it if i was a, if i was reviewing your cv i would just i would just ignore that's on there because you haven't done it yet it doesn't show me anything other than you signed up for something you might have even signed up for it with plans to cancel it because you just wanted it <laughs> to look good on your cv now, uh, I think if you were involved in a research project and you've been doing, you've been working on it for two years, but you don't have anything to produce from it, you've submitted a, you, you say you weren't far enough along to submit a poster for one of the before December conferences, but you have a, a local, regional, or even national conference taking place in the spring that you have plans to submit for. I think that should definitely go on on your CV. The project, what your involvement is, and then what your plans are, plan for poster, submission at this conference if they ask you about it you can absolutely talk about you, you know everything you've done with that and and they're thinking that's great that you have plans to present a poster and I think that shows that you have that manuscript like you were saying earlier mm-hmm. Bobby manuscript presentation or something out of it um, and then and then like Taylor was saying with the rotations I you know can put the future rotations on there and continue to update and switch them to completed and, and add details about that Anything else, if you haven't done it or you haven't spent a a lengthy amount of time in it, I would just not, I wouldn't put it on my CV yet. It could come across negatively because it's perceived as fluff. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I I don't really have anything to add, but I do not like
2: fluff as I, as I talked about. I mean, this is, it's supposed to be showcasing you and obviously we all want to make ourselves look competitive, um, but I I think we have to act within, within appropriate limits as y'all have mentioned.
1: All right, gentlemen. Well, let's take a pause real quick from the CV and do some postgraduate pharmacist trivia.
2: And as we know from last time, I love trivia. I think I got one question right last time. So I'm 50%. Not bad for a baseball (laughs) player. It's not bad, you
0: know? I'll never make it to 50%. You know, I make it my mission. I've, I've had the pleasure of playing trivia with you, Bobby. I make it my mission to see if I can convince you out of a correct answer. I've done it once. I'm trying. I'm trying to go for two, where you <laughs> you have the right answer, and I'm like, I don't think that's it. We can, Yeah, we can I've run.
2: lost a lot of my trivia edge sure. uh, since I had kids. You know, just that p- place in your brain for pop culture and stuff just gets replaced with other useless children uh, mm-hmm. knowledge and things. So Char- characters on TV shows, characters on TV, yeah. Disney so pop princesses, pop culture down, Disney princesses up. So. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of Disney princesses, this question is unrelated to Disney princesses. Okay,
0: I was about to say I'm going to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: so this is a music question. Hmm. I don't have a lot of great intro like y'all did to some of y'all's uh, historic questions, but okay, here we go. So what iconic classic rock song entered rarefied air by returning to the U.S. Billboard Top, t- top 100 list in three different decades? First... In 1976, again in 1992, and most recently in 2018.
0: I think I know what it is. Give me a second, though, because I gotta think of it. Um, it's got a weird name. Will you accept the answer if I can name the movie it was recently played in and where it's most commonly played? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's thinking it's not even in a movie, he's thinking of the wrong answer.
2: Trying to think about what you're going to come up with.
0: All right. You want me to go first? I can go first, Taylor. You can piggyback off my success here. Um, So I think it's the, the, uh, the song that was played in the new Joker movie when he's dancing down the stairs. It's most commonly played at baseball stadiums. I I can't, I don't know the name of the song. That's the thing. I could try to sing it, but I don't know if there's any words to it.
2: Well, you don't have to, because it is not correct. (sighs)
0: I could have sworn that was it because it was it was number one on the church. and I was just like, why is this song number one? I hadn't seen the. I Joker mean, it could be popularly
2: yet. played at baseball stadiums, but it had to reach the Billboard Top 100.
0: Yeah, this thing was famous. I thought that's when it came out. All right, I was... is it a is it a Rolling Stones song? It is not a Rolling Stones song. Why does he get to ask for hands? That is so you know, unfair. I, I'm nice. <laughs> I'm, a gu- I'm a guest. I'm a guest. Uh, you know he's guest be- host.
1: he's beating me in trivia. Yeah, I can't come up with this one. So um, I know this is wrong, but I'll just say don't stop believing.
2: That's a good guess. So the answer, if I give you the band, so Queen. Oh. Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Yeah. So It's because the movie came out. So
2: the movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out in 2018. The song was released in 1976, right? Anybody know why it came back into the billboard? Top 100 in yeah. 1992. Wayne's World. Is that when he died? No, that's a good guess though. But it's when it was included in Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. Wayne's World. Yeah. Oh man! Excellent party time. That's Excellent. right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty crazy. That go is. go from 1976 to 1992. I think it actually went higher. So I wrote this as so a in, in 1976 it went to number nine on the U.S. Top 100 uh, on the Billboard Top 100, not number nine. After Wayne's World went to number two. <sighs>
0: It was his wow. peak on the Billboard That's incredible. Top in I mean, during my childhood, that's where I would, my mind would picture that movie every time I heard that song. So, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah
2: it must be great to have royalties from that, you know. So every oh every gosh. twenty years, you get a boost of royalties to come in.
0: I know. Yeah.
2: All right, I'm going to go ahead and ask my question.
1: And if you all remember, my question a couple of weeks ago was about Michelin stars and Michelin restaurants. so this one is also about that again. And I feel like this is a layup because I I believe Sean said something about he he could answer any other question besides the one I asked. Mm -hmm. And then he answered it correctly regardless. So I feel like both of these guys are going to get it ready today or get it right today, but I'll go ahead and ask it anyways. So what is the, uh, obviously they're awarded Michelin stars for, um, for their excellence as a restaurant, but what is the maximum number of stars that a, a restaurant can receive? that's a tough question.
0: Mm. <laughs> I think very, I even said tough. it on the last episode. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the uh the three stars. I would agree. Michelin three stars.
1: Yeah. yeah, you you all got it. Okay. Sean's Sean's getting his trivia game back a little bit. I am, now. Hey,
0: I'm a I'm a Bobby's a connoisseur of bourbon, I'm a connoisseur of um, uh, of restaurant rating books. So yeah.
2: Well, hey, that <laughs> one went quick. Can I ask another one? You can't. I, I, I brought one more. Bring another This is also going to be pretty quick. So, y'all should, I mean, y'all probably should get this. Which U.S. state is geographically closest to the continent of Africa?
1: You know, just by if you think about looking at a map, you think Florida is the right answer, but I feel like it's a trick question or else you wouldn't be asking it. So, I'm going
0: to say Texas. Texas? Texas? Yeah, I'm going to go with Hawaii then. Since he said Texas, I'm going to say Hawaii just for fun to say. It's probably like, I bet if I bet the Pacific Ocean distance is actually shorter.
2: So th- these are these are really good answers. So Florida is the most common answer. Yeah. Right? So I asked my wife this last night, and she did say Hawaii. Did she? She did say Hawaii. Okay. I don't um, feel so bad now. <laughs> so the answer, and this is why I thought this was a good question. It is kind of a trick right there. So there definitely is some trivia uh, gamesmanship yeah. in this. The answer is Maine, the uh, state of Maine. Oh, Maine. Maine. Yeah. yeah, so look. Because
1: it's so far and, east. And the,
2: the difference in mileage between Florida, which is what most people con- uh, answer, and Maine, it's a difference of over a 1,000 miles difference. So any listeners from Maine, congratulations. You are the closest <laughs> to the continent of Africa.
0: <laughs> All right, my turn. So this is a current event question. If, if you're like me, I I I'm just I love reading the news every day. I thought my mom was super lame when she used to do it, but now I'm like, wow, it's so interesting to <laughs> read the news. Anyway, current event question is mine. So Jeff Bezos, y'all might know him. Uh, he's going to space on the craft Blue Origin. With him will be his brother, an 82-year-old pilot named Wally Funk. And, a, and it was going to be an anonymous bidder who paid $28 million for the seat. And now they've booked out a couple of these flights, the first flight and the second flight whatnot. They had a bid for it. So the bidder recently backed out. And now the seat's going to Oliver Damon, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's from the Netherlands, 18-year-old, whose father paid for his ticket. So what was the reason the original passenger couldn't make the flight? And I'll give you multiple choice. Was it? They didn't pass the safety check required to board the spacecraft. They had a scheduling conflict. They forgot they left the oven on, or they didn't realize the trip was literally to outer space. I'm going to go with D. They didn't know it was to outer space. <laughs> That's, that was
1: going to be my answer. Just thinking back to, uh, you know, literally when Bobby was mentioning the other week about, the mobile infirmary, like <laughs> taking things literally. So I just have a feeling that that is so what you're going space.
0: For, Yeah. So. And you know, I could see where you're all coming from because those airplanes that like they, they go like a skirting along the atmosphere. So you get like, you know, or the way that they go up and down real fast, you get like zero G's for a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go do like a music video on it. That's actually not correct. It was a scheduling. It's, it's forgot to let the oven. No, it, was not the, it was not the oven. Uh, it was a scheduling conflict. So, sorry I can't make the uh, $28 million flight to space. I have a I have a dentist appointment. <laughs> I forgot to reschedule.
1: I want to know what was what was the conflict there that um, they had to reschedule
0: for. Which is the question on everybody's mind and they won't they won't even release who it was. So, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. Yeah. At least come up with a better excuse, you know? Yeah that was fun. Those are the most trivious questions we've ever asked. So thanks Bobby for bringing two of them. So this may be a quick question back to our topic of CVs. How specific should students get on dates?
1: I guess I can answer this first. So I I don't think you need to be like specific as far as the actual date, like the 16th or the 17th or anything like that. But, you know, if there is some event that you're, are in charge of, or things like that, you could put a month along with it. I guess I don't have a too strong of a preference, but if it's something you're involved with over multiple years, you know, you can put, you know, 2020 to 2021. If there are certain months that you're on a rotation, you know, I was on, on this rotation from July to August of 2021. And those would kind of just be my quick takes on it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, months and years, for for like education, time on rotations. If it's a specific event, month and year is reasonable. Other things, organizational involvement, years are fine. And I would I would get no more specific than that. I think from a program standpoint or an employer standpoint, from an education and, and job standpoint, they're really just looking for gaps. So, you don't really need to have like I didn't have a job for 40. That's okay. You can put you can put the months and it's fine. They're just looking for like did you took six years off of something, you know, didn't, whatever that might, might be. So um, yeah, month and years.
1: So what topics or sections to a CV are often overlooked or left out by candidates that can actually serve to boost their marketability?
2: I I could start. So I have a couple of them. I think the one that I I wanted to talk about most, and this may be the one that when I started sort of thinking of, of responses and things, one of the ones that I actually put last. But I think that sometimes with with so many schools of pharmacy and and so many different curricula, that some marketability is lost because of uh, unclear terms or unclear what courses are called, for example, and and providing some explanation or or context for what the course is. So if your school is anything like we are uh, at Auburn, we put acronyms on everything. Uh, And even if you knew what the acronym stood for, you don't always know exactly what you're referring to. If it's a experiential course, if it's a course within the didactic curriculum and even what what's contained in the course. And so I think, you know, I, I think a little bit of explanation, certainly making sure that you're spelling out uh, abbreviations and things. Uh, for things like experiential courses, I think it can be like early IPPEs, I think is a good example because there's so much variability across the country about um, how the uh, IPPE programs are are formatted a little bit of detail to say what did you do during this experience? Why was it an experiential course? It doesn't have to be long—a bullet, two bullets, maybe—but uh, that can go a long way to showcasing uh, the skills that you gained from from those experiences.
0: The, I may be the only one that does this. This is like I have a section at the end of my CV for miscellaneous, um, miscellaneous skills, and so I feel like if you worked as a technician at a hospital system for four years and they used Epic and you're very familiar with Epic, I, under my miscellaneous section, I put EP- Epic EHR trained. So any EHR I'm familiar enough with where I could walk in and day one be like really proficient with it. I like list there. I think that's important and that's useful. And if the system that you're going to or your employer is like uses one of those things, that's actually beneficial, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really fit anywhere else. Like there's, <laughs> You're not going to make a whole section on EHRs I've trained on right. and, and things like that. So I put things like that, EHR training, any sort of skills or, or things that I've, I've done. Like So I kind of have like that miscellaneous category to capture those weird, odd things mm-hmm. at the bottom. It's at the bottom, so you have to scroll for it. But but I think that's a good place to put some of those unique things that just don't fit anywhere else. Yeah. And, and
2: I really like that one, actually. I, I really like the example of the EHR. Uh, and I know I've seen things like that where candidates put in, you know, trained on Excel, or PowerPoint, you know, Mm -hmm. some of those things. Uh, and and I think that can be helpful. Um, just if you're going to put it on your CV, make sure you are truly trained in those things. You know, (laughs) don't put that you're trained in SPSS statistics or that you're really good in Excel. If you really can't function your way through Excel, I use Excel a lot. I would not put Excel uh, on my CV because there's a lot of things that it does that I'm not familiar with. So just be careful. It's like, you know, you might've heard people, I don't know if it's true or not put like, you know, can speak spanish on their cv yeah but they can't speak spanish like don't do that <laughs> you know don't don't lie about that kind of stuff it it does make you look more attractive on paper until you're asked to do something in spanish or asked mm-hmm. to do something in epic or one of these ehrs and then you've got egg on your hands because you can't do
0: those things yeah. Yeah, I like those examples you gave to it because because I'm not like I would not say I'm Excel trained. They'd be like, oh, so you can do a pivot chart. I'm like, no, I have to read the how to do a pivot chart every time I make a pivot chart. But but like in note training and SPSS training, if I was profi- if I was really proficient, Taylor's way more proficient at SPSS than I am. So like that would be cool places to add that stuff. I want to give a situational question. If I was part of my school's student chapter of ACCP in the chapter planned and put on a fundraiser for breast cancer research. Let's say I went to all the meetings that discussed the fundraiser and attended the fundraiser, which ended up being like an outdoor barbecue. Does this deserve a place on my CV?
2: I'm a a little torn. I I see the why, why a student might want to put this on there, right? As a preceptor, as somebody who evaluates these, we want to see organizational involvement. I, I would say that is, what we're most looking for is leadership ability, right? Of course, we don't want you just being a member of an organization and, and going through, you know, just going through the motions, but but I would really get used to sort of prioritizing what you include on your CV. If you really didn't do anything that uh, in, in the organization of of this uh, event, you just went and attended as a member, I would probably say don't include because then you run into the, the the issue of, well, where do you stop? If you include every event that you attended, you're going to have this four page long thing of events you attended on your CV that is probably not really adding and adding anything for you in, in terms of your application to reviewers. So y'all may disagree with me on this. That's just how I feel about, uh, but it's
0: a, event. it's a barbecue. It sounds, it sounds <laughs> delicious and it
2: sounds like a great thing to attend. It just may not be something to include on your CV.
1: And the way I think you worded it, it sounded more of, it was just like an attendance. It wasn't like truly planning it or organizing it or managing people and that's really what we want to see out of these types of things so if you were the head of that you know committee that organized this many people and had these vendors come in for this barbecue and and did all of that and did all the planning up front then yeah include it but just the way that you kind of worded it here i would say probably no So let me give another scenario. So let's say your school is doing a COVID vaccine clinic and you're required to attend because this is part of your IPPE hour requirements and will count for some of your hours that you need. Can and should you add something like that to your
0: CV? I think so.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I sort of mentioned this earlier, like the importance of having a a section for experiential education and experiential rotations, uh, especially for things like IPPE, because IPPE does differ so much around the country as compared to to APPEs. If you had to attend a a COVID uh, vaccine event, which is an excellent opportunity for students to get involved in, and it was a part of that IPPE course or IPP hours, list that under IPP hours and say what you did. Attended a four-hour COVID vaccination clinic, and prepared and administered vaccine. And that that's going to tell us a lot about your involvement, what, what you did, what skills you were able to demonstrate uh, at that event.
1: What about, let's say, uh, meetings attended? So, like professional
0: meetings that you attend? I mean, for my personal opinion, I don't put those on my CV. I never have. I feel like that's just you going and doing something is great for your, you know your own self-development. If you took a special course at one of these and you signed up for a workshop that produced like some sort of certificate or some special skills, then I could, then I would put that, you know, attended a certain workshop because that's professional development. But if you just attended like a, uh, like ACCP's annual meeting and went to all the, went to the conference and did all that stuff, that to me shows nothing other than you paid money, traveled and, 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 and learned some probably unique things. But you know what, what can you really take from that?
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Or posters, right? If you're taking a poster or some sort of resource, mm-hmm. research product to those, you know, I, I wouldn't include that and say I attended this conference to do that. You would just include that poster or that certificate or piece
0: of professional development. So, what type of projects can exist in the research scholarship part of your CV?
2: So, I talked about this earlier. My, I like Ongoing research projects, or not necessarily ongoing, but things that you have had a, a sort of longitudinal experience with, uh, I think is the is the best example. Something where you're able to explain what your role was, ideally explain maybe some of the rationale or ultimately the results of what you found. Um, certainly, any any publication, whether that's posters that you've presented or, or been included on formal publications and journals, even things like newsletters. I know for, from a student standpoint, oftentimes it's hard. It may not be easy to get on a paper or on a formally published manuscript with a faculty or mentor, uh, but I think newsletters, manuscripts in progress, I'm okay with as long as you, you've you had a role uh, in the writing of that. Uh, I even think things like QI projects, quality improvement projects, I would probably put less priority to that, but if that's sort of where your big involvement and sort of your uh, introduction to the research method has come, I, I think there's some really, really impactful QI projects that are being done uh, throughout the country that benefit institutions. So I think if you've been involved with that, that's an excellent place to include that as well.
1: Yeah. And, and kind of thinking about, you know, what you were talking about earlier, I think even like a MUE, mm-hmm. th- those types of projects as well. Let's say you did that and then you, you know, presented it to P&T, and then something changes as a result of it. Like, I think that just shows, you know, what program, again, the skill set that programs are looking for, that you're able to, you know, take all of that information, you know, have something meaningful, like deliverables with that information um, that you're able to implement. So I think, if you think about it from that perspective, like, would a program be interested in the skills that I use to, to do this? Or, you know, is it something like Sean had mentioned earlier? Am I just, would a program be interested that I know how to look at a, a data sheet and enter it into Excel or something like that? You, you know, you, you kind of get two different schools of thought. Well, Bobby, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on yet another episode.
2: Well, as always, uh, great to chat with you guys and, and share some trivia and some uh, good pharmacy tidbits. So really enjoyed it again. So any last minute thoughts on CVs? I think big takeaways one of which we didn't really talk about but formatting spelling all that stuff make sure you know you've done your due diligence get peers faculty other mentors to to look at it even non-pharmacy mentors I think can be helpful to look at it because if they can't really understand what's there you you want to make sure it, it's clear And certainly, as we've alluded to before, be prepared to discuss anything. You know, when you're going to put something on your CV, it's fair game to get brought up during interviews. So make sure that you can can talk and talk intelligently about what you've included.
1: If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us
0: and our guests, please like and subscribe. Remember you can listen to us on all major podcast apps and don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode in the description below.